Welcome to another episode of Thorn's Jungle. Come right in. There's lots of strange animals. And actually, today's episode uh, is a very strange animal and bloody nightmarish animal. Uh, and you'll find out why. But first of all, we are going to answer a question that was asked to me via email. And it reads... This is from Dean Parry. Hi Adam, my 14 year old son Archie wants to become a zookeeper when he leaves education and has a special interest in reptiles. He has a pet bearded dragon and currently volunteers at a reptile shop on the outskirts of London. Do you have any advice for a budding herpetologist who has a passion for caring, for studying reptiles and wants to make it a career? We both love the podcast and he would love some advice from someone he admires. Many thanks, Dean. Oh, that's nice. Thank you very much for the question. Um, my advice to Archie would be keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it sounds like you're getting involved. You're getting amongst uh, the herp community. Um, and volunteering is an awesome way to get your foot in the door and, and learn and get some experience, especially hands-on experience. Um, coming from the UK, obviously the reptiles that you can find there are limited. Um, so captivity, that's awesome. You know, it, it's definitely a good way to, uh, to get some experience. Um, when I was about oh, 10 years old, yeah, about 10, grade six at school, I volunteered at a uh, native animal rescue place. Uh, I was too young to go do it by myself, so my dad volunteered with me. Um, and that gave me great hands-on experience with native wildlife. Um, so volunteering's great, just get amongst it all, never stop learning. And at 14 years old, you're gonna th go through a time where there will be distractions, uh, especially at school. Um, and that's fine, you know, you can be distracted. Uh, it will happen. Things are changing. The world is changing. Everything's sort of, you know, new to you and exciting. Um, I went through that stage, but I always felt guilty uh, when my mind sort of went away from animals. But don't feel guilty because it's perfectly, perfectly normal. Um, if you put your mind to it, you would do it, man. Like, just never stop learning and wanting and dreaming because if you dream it, you can achieve it. So uh, if you want to go down the route of, uh, you know, becoming a zookeeper, um, I know in Australia you don't need a university degree, but you do need to do like some sort of course. Uh, or if you want to study at university, you can do wildlife biology or zoology and sort of specialize in reptiles. I'm not sure if there's a actual degree that's in herpetology it's more of a post-grad thing um yeah there goes the dogs right on cue goodness um but you know some of the best and most knowledgeable animal people i know don't have any degrees so hang on sorry about this i swear these dogs wait for me as soon as i hit record they start barking they they're onto it they know um yeah, uh, so some of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to animals don't actually have degrees. Um, I know I 
studied for a bit then stopped because I actually got work working with animals so I was like well why should I finish my degree or finish my studies when I'm already working doing what I want to do but then later I went back and um, got my wildlife biology uh, qualification and now I'm studying primatology uh, as a wildlife person you'll never stop studying you'll always have to keep up to date with new things and you'll get new interests uh, you know different species and things like that or, or even with me it started off with the reptiles and went more to mammals and now it's sort of in at primatology uh, study of primates obviously uh, so my advice to you is just ensconce yourself in that world in the herpetological world uh, join clubs whether it be online or uh, in person but Archie, it sounds like you're going down the right path. It sounds like you're doing everything you should be doing. So, yeah, just keep up with it and never stop reaching, you know, never stop dreaming. Thanks for the question. If any of you other listeners have any cool animal stories, cool topics, cool questions about animals or anything, send them to me, email them to me, uh, preferably a voice recording, but... Um, you know, written's fine. You can DM me on Instagram a voice recording or you can email me one uh, at adam at biothorn.com.au. Um, yeah, what else has happened this week? Oh, I watched Beast over the weekend. And I have to tell you, it is probably in my top 10 favorite movies now. It is so damn cool. It is so bloody cool. It's like... Uh, I'm not going to give you any spoilers or anything, but pretty much it's a lion that's gone rogue and is attacking basically anybody in its territory. Um, but it's not one of them movies where, like Jaws, you see the... Like, like they do with Jaws with the shark, it kind of villainized sharks. With this one... Yeah, it kind of does, but it also has this really good anti-poaching message to it, um, which like is throughout the whole movie. Like the reason why this line is killing everyone is because of poaching. So it doesn't villainize the lines. If anything, it it makes them just more awesome. Like you just love them even more, and um the CGI on these lines is next level like the best CGI I've ever seen on an animal in any movie these lines looked real like crazy real they did a, such a good job with it and it was like a 90 minute movie which is perfect I'm sick of these two and a half hour long movies where they just drag out drag out drag out this was like straight to the point bang 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 end great action 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 end that's what i love i have a very taut uh, uh taut attention span i could yeah it's pretty taut but it's also very short uh so movies like that are just great for me uh otherwise if it goes on too long i'm on my phone you know yeah i'm just not into it so check this movie out it, it's sick okay now to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Now, if you if you've ever watched Kings of Pain, you know that I'm not huge on spiders. All right, they're 
yeah, not 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 a massive fan. Um, I don't hate spiders. I don't hate any animal. I just don't feel that comfortable around spiders. I used to be deathly afraid of them, but after you know learning more about them and having hands-on experience with them, I've gotten as probably as comfortable as I'm ever going to get with spiders, you know. And actually being on King's Pain really helped. Um, although I was getting absolutely annihilated by them uh, with the bites, uh, just handling them and seeing them in person up close actually did the opposite. It made me more comfortable around them, which is a uh, strange turn of events, but it happened. And this episode is about an animal or alleged animal called the Jabafu Fee. Yep, that's right. What a cool name, eh? Jabafofi. It is also known as the Congolese giant spider. Now this is a cryptozoological animal and coming from the Congo, it lives in the same area as a lot of other cryptids like the Mbembe, which is the sauropod dinosaur-like animal that is said to live in the Tele River in the Congo, and I think that was actually the first episode of this podcast was about the Mikele Mbembe. Uh, so, nice little flashback there. Um, but this Jabafo Fee is said to inhabit the forested areas of the Congo, and if you know what the Congo looks like, it is enormous. It's a swamp the size of a reasonably sized country. So, there is definitely room for animals to go undiscovered there. Now, the description of the Jabafofi uh, comes from anecdotal tales, both from Westerners and from the uh, indigenous people that live in the area. And I'll start off with the first sort of sighting by a Westerner of this giant spider. And it came in 1890 near Lake Nyasa, during which British missionary Arthur John Symes and his men came upon one of these creatures. One of the men got themselves tangled in an enormous web and two giant spiders, which were, one was two feet uh, leg span and the other one was four feet leg span. They reckon it was a male and female, obviously the male being the smaller one. And when this dude got caught up in the web, they came out and attacked them. Symes was bitten, but managed to escape after shooting one of them with his pistol. Jeez, straight out of a movie, eh? Oh. He developed symptoms, including a deathly pallor. That's a very old school term. Severe chills, swelling around the area where he was bitten and he became delirious before dropping into unconsciousness. He ultimately died from, uh, from this bite. So the first sort of Westerner experience with one of these animals was a real unfortunate one. The dude died from a bite. One of the most uh, best known accounts uh, by Westerners um, came from... Uh, Two people, a dude and his wife, R.K. Lloyd and his wife, were motoring in the Belgium Congo in 1938 
when they saw a large object crossing the trail in front of them. At first they thought it was a cat or a monkey, but soon realized it was a spider with a leg span of three feet. That's a meter. Now, the biggest spiders we have uh, is obviously the Goliath bird-eating uh, spider. It's a tarantula with a leg span of about 12 inches. Um, there are huntsmen that I think have a slightly longer leg span, but they have nowhere near the bulk. Um, cryptozoologist William J. Gibbons has hunted for what some may think to be the Mbembe. And while he was looking for the Mbembe, this was his third expedition, uh, he came upon some natives who related their experiences with giant spiders. So he's gone into the jungle looking for this sauropod dinosaur, long-necked dinosaur, and ends up being told about giant bloody spiders in there. On his third expedition to equatorial Africa, this is a quote from him, actually. On this third expedition to equatorial Africa, I took the opportunity to inquire if the pygmies knew of such a giant spider, and indeed they did. They speak of the Jbafofi, which is a giant or great spider. They described a spider that is generally brown in color with a purple mark on the abdomen. They grow to quite an enormous size with a leg span of at least five feet. The giant arachnids weave together a lair made of leaves similar in shape to the traditional pygmy hut and spin a circular web, said to be very strong, between two trees with a strand stretched across a game trail. These giant ground-dwelling spiders prey on diminutive forest antelope, birds and other small game and they are said to be extremely dangerous, not to mention highly venomous. Gibbon also states, the spiders are said to lay white peanut-sized eggs in a cluster, and the pygmies give them a wide berth when encountered, but have killed them in the past. The giant spiders were once very common, but are now a rare sight. So even these cryptozoological animals are becoming bloody endangered. Oh, could you imagine? Like, that's a pretty elaborate description of the animal you know with being brown with purple markings on the back um, apparently the babies are supposed to be a bit more brighter but then they become more dull with age um, I mean good grief like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't think of anything more ugh, like that's nightmare material I mean, if you see a Goliath bird-eating spider, obviously found in South America, if you see a large one of them in person, it is mind-blowing. You're not used to seeing a spider that's almost the size of a puppy, you know? It's, it's bizarre. Its abdomen is like, like the size of a toddler's fist. It's crazy. Imagine seeing one with a leg span of three to five feet. That is, that's that that that's borderline. That that that's almost human size, like stretched out. That leg span is the size of a human, and it would weigh, you know, as much as an infant human. <laughs> like, I for those 
couple that were driving down the road to see what they thought was a monkey crossing the road and it turns out to be a spider. Like, that's a seriously big spider. And I I, I can't fathom even seeing that. I, I, I wouldn't sleep after seeing something like that. That's just ridiculous. Now, these giant spiders, the Jabar Fofi, aren't limited to the Congo. There are sightings all around the world of giant spiders. I remember reading about a story of a, a soldier in Papua New Guinea that witnessed giant spiders. Uh, I don't think he described a leg span of five feet, but he definitely described a leg span of like two or three feet which is still bigger than any spider that we know of. Um, I think there was other reports coming out of, oh, I want to say maybe Vietnam during the war or something. I mean, they saw some weird, weird stuff in Vietnam, like, uh, like the rock apes, like a bipedal ape that used to throw massive rocks at, at the soldiers and stuff. But whether or not that was from an opioid like induced hallucination because hey let's face it it's no secret a lot of the uh, US soldiers were on heroin over there or smoking uh, opium um, whether or not that's the case who knows but yeah there's something to it there's also I remember reading about a soldier on a base I think it was in Carolina and this army base was surrounded by woods and he saw like a giant spider like it had came out the woods and attacked him and then went back in and it was enormous he said like five to six foot leg span and then there was another story from a different soldier on an air base i'm not sure if it was the same one and he described seeing one on the roof in his uh I think it was through his like thermal scope or whatever like and in forums and stuff people that worked on the same base are well aware of these giant spiders so who knows um yeah i don't know what to make of it because like arachnologists people that study spiders and other arachnids have stated that for a, a spider just can't get that big these days uh their book lungs which are they, they their lungs look like the pages of a book this increases surface area and so it allows for more oxygen um i think it's like the mygal the mygalum wasps and the tarantulas and stuff have book lungs i think the smaller spiders don't they have another sort of respiratory system i think it's more just uh uh pores in their in their skin that sort of absorbs oxygen through osmosis something like that i'm not an invertebrate guy I'm, I'm not a like a bug dude um so don't quote me on that but that's from from what i can gather <laughs> from my general knowledge um and the amount of oxygen it requires for a large arthropod a large invertebrate like a spider it just isn't conducive with the amount of oxygen we have in our atmosphere so they will not have enough oxygen to be able to do anything. But in saying that, what comes to mind is there is an arthropod. There is an invertebrate on land that gets 
you know, about a three foot leg span. And it's much heavier than any other... It's actually the biggest land invertebrate. And that's the coconut crab, also known as robber crabs. They are huge. And they are heavy. They are bulky. And they breathe oxygen. They don't actually live in the water. I think maybe the the eggs and stuff are, are laid in the water and they come onto land. Um, but they don't have book lungs. They use a completely different respiratory system that is actually um, allows them to get more oxygen. I think because their blood is copper-based rather than iron-based like ours. I think it's hemo... See the it's hemocyanin or hemolymph. I know hemocyanin is what horseshoe crabs have, and it's their blood is blue because it's it's copper based. If you ever look at like copper sulfate, it's blue. Um, so I think it might be hemocyanin, and that allows for more oxygen to be, you know, to to be pumped through the um, blood vessels of the. Uh, of the invertebrate. Um, now, uh, I know insects and arachnids and things, I think they have hemolymph, which is what their blood is called. But horseshoe crabs and are, are actually quietly closely related to arachnids. Um, I think they're actually more closely related to arachnids than they are actual crabs. So who knows? Uh, if there is a giant spider with copper-based hemocyanin blood uh, and has, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be enough time or weird evolutionary process to completely change their respiratory system. If they're a spider, they're a spider. They're not going to have a completely different respiratory system to other tarantulas. But, you know, if some form of convergent evolution occurred and they developed similar respiratory system to a coconut crab, then I guess it, it could exist. But again, it's uh, there's a big gap in evolution there where, you know, <laughs> who bloody knows? This is just me spitballing right now. Do I think there's a giant spider in the Congo? Th there could be a large undiscovered tarantula in the Congo and if you see a spider with a leg span of like a foot it's gonna look bloody two foot or three foot in person especially if it's just a glimpsing moment a glimpsing sighting of it it's gonna look the size of a bloody dumpster <laughs> you know that's what happens so it, there could be a large tarantula living in the Congolese jungle um that has just been sort of greatly exaggerated. Um, the web thing is kind of interesting because, yeah, tarantulas will build webs, like funnel-shaped webs, and um, there are spiders that will build little huts using leaves and things like that and intertwined with their webs, but you're not going to see a spider with a five-foot leg span in a web, like up in, a tr in between two trees in a web. Um, I, I, it, it would be plausible for it to have ground webs, like tripwise, if it was catching things like dica, which are small, like tiny little antelope, because that, that is the size of the prey it would be taking. It ain't going to be eating bugs at that size. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, it just, it wouldn't be up in a tree. We've got like orb weavers, um, which are big ass spiders. Their leg spans about the size of a full grown man, man hand. She had man hands. Um, and their webs are insanely strong. Like I've walked through a bunch of them and they basically clothesline me. They're that bloody strong. Um, but again, that's a very lightly built spider. It's not bulky. It's not a tarantula. It doesn't have a big, bloody grapefruit-sized abdomen. And I mean, if you're talking about a spider with a five-foot leg span, you're talking about an abdomen the size of a basketball. Um, so yeah, that's that's a heavy-ass spider. That thing's got a bloody wagon on it, all right? It's got a bootay, bootay on it, you know? So it ain't going to be up in a tree between two webs. It would be on the ground. And it, what the um, pygmies... Pygmy? Can we call them pygmies? Is that the politically correct term for them? I, I don't know. I know I know we Eskimos are Inuits now. But I, I'm not sure about pygmies. Um, we'll say indigenous people. Um they, their description of building huts similar to theirs is pretty interesting, you know, like, I mean, I know with a lot of indigenous stories, there are a lot of folklore and mythology and legend based around a lot of their stories, uh, but, I mean, that's a pretty elaborate uh, thing to, to notice, you know. Well, would you just go, you know... Y these people know what spiders look like. They could have easily just said, yeah, it's like a giant cobweb, a giant web with a spider right in the middle of it, like they would have seen in any depiction of a spider in a web. But the way they described it is pretty intricate. So, who knows? And the fact that it's becoming more rare and rare and they don't see it that often, um, it could be extinct before even being discovered. So it's it's a tough one. And as well, the venom part, like, it killed a guy, apparently. And we know old world tarantulas have a medically significant venom, a lot of them. Uh, Caveman Rob and I know firsthand. And the venom can be nasty, and if it's medically significant, it means it is a potent enough venom to be recognized amongst, uh, you know, the, in the medical literature as... Yeah, you got to watch out for this venom. I'm not sure. I don't, don't think anybody's ever died from a tarantula bite, but holy crap, you'd want to die after getting bitten by some of these. And if this spider is as big as it's supposed to be, three to five foot leg span, then even if it's not a super potent venom, the amount of venom it would inject would be enormous. So if you watched the Orange Baboon Tarantula episode, the OBT episode, where Caveman Rob and I got bitten by by that um, that was excruciatingly painful imagine that times 50 that would be enough to kill somebody absolutely so yeah it, it that amount of venom you know talking about a bloody shot glass full of venom there yeah it's going to take you down even if it's fairly mild <laughs> Ugh, so Jabafo fee no thank you that's like eight-legged freak style. It's, uh, yeah, I think I'll pass on that. Um, 
and just being in the Congo as well like the what the way I picture the Congo is what's that movie that uh, Land of the Lost no that's the one with Will Ferrell what is it like one of them movies where they find like a you know lost land of bloody dinosaurs and stuff it might be the lost world to be honest I'm not talking about Jurassic Park 2 I think there's another lost lost world and there's obviously the Jules Verne uh, what is it journey to the center of the earth or whatever um, the Congo is almost depicted as that where there's uh, the Michele Mbembe uh, is said to live there giant long neck dinosaur there's also stegosaurian like dinosaurs that are seen there allegedly there's pterodactyl type creatures there's giant spiders you know so it, it's actually pretty crazy and the the fact of the matter is that giant spiders uh, giant invertebrates and arthropods on land did actually exist you know back 100 million years ago plus there were six foot millipede type animals there was a dragonfly with a two foot wingspan and I believe they did find a type of spider that was huge I'm not talking five feet huge but a big ass spider and that's because uh, back then there was more oxygen in the environment so it would have been conducive for a large terrestrial invertebrate to live now it's like what 21% oxygen 79% nitrogen in our atmosphere so it just can't it can't it's not conducive for big animals anymore like it once was uh, so that's another reason why you know yeah there could have been giant spiders now eh I don't know I don't know imagine the boot you would need to bloody dispatch of that spider Jesus you need a pretty big jar to trap one of them in eh? you need like a my voice is breaking Anyway, well, I hope you uh, lose some sleep over the uh, cryptid Jabarfo Fee. Um, yeah, I've known about this spider for bloody years and it's always like given me the creeps. And do you know what? Probably about a year ago, I tried to do an episode on Jabarfo Fee and every time I did it, I'll talk for like 40 minutes on it. The bloody thing didn't work. It didn't record properly. And I did it like three times, so I just gave up. And I was like, well, it's not meant to be. So, hopefully this one comes out okay. <laughs> um, I have just recently got in a bunch of my signature leather pouches. They're available on my website, uh, biothorn.com.au. Uh, they're the pouch that I wore in Kings of Pain. And... They sell out so quick, but this time I got a pretty decent sized order. So they're going to be ready to go on sale uh, within the next week or two. Um, and you can get them on my website. Just go to the shop. But if you want to buy one, they'll be ready in a couple of weeks. And they also come with a signed Adam Thorne photograph for you. Little bonus. Um, I know I get a lot of emails and messages about them, so... I'm sorry, they're just so damn popular. 
So be able to get your hands on one of them. There's also t-shirts and hats and stuff on the website, so check it out. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, it's now on Amazon Music as well now. Um, on Amazon Podcast, sorry. Or Amazon Music with podcasts. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't use it. But um, yeah, if you haven't already, subscribe and give it a rating. The more ratings we get, the more popular the show becomes, uh, the better quality the podcast will get. And, you know, I can do more regular ones. Uh, I might even go down the route of setting up a Patreon where if you want to pay for a subscription in the future, then you'll get extra content, you know, an extra episode a week, extra two episodes a week. But there'll always be a free episode for you every week, regardless, okay? Um, but yeah, if you want to see more, then maybe we'll go down that route and that will free up, free me up some time to do more episodes and uh, better quality ones as well. Because, hey, let's face it, it's not a... The production quality ain't great on this podcast. <laughs> but, hey, it'll do. You can hear it. And that's all that matters. All right, everyone, have a great week. Uh, I'm going to think up of something special to do over Halloween for the Halloween episode. Um, so stay tuned for that. But that's still not for a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, I'll see you next week on another episode of Thorin's Jungle.